Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Very excited today. Heading out to my own country, Canada, out to Western Canada, to Calgary, Alberta. Excited to introduce you to Dr. Wayne Hammond. He's currently the president and CEO of Optimum, Optimum Performance in Calgary. He holds an adjunct status with the School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Over the past 30 years, Wayne has primarily worked with high-risk youth and their families with a specific focus on strength-based practice and the the role of resiliency when facilitating the capacity of complex individuals to thrive in ways that reflect successful outcomes. Wayne has published several scientific articles and has been an active lecturer with regards to various mental health concerns and the implications of strength based practice in both educational and community care settings. More recently, Dr. Wayne has focused and explored developing a model of practice and process for optimizing one's mindset orientation in ways that will enhance one's personal and professional resilience and competence in order to maximize performance goals and meaningful outcomes in life. So Dr. Wayne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's certainly a pleasure to be here with you. I I was reading your bio when I was doing my research, and I thought, if this isn't a heart-centered leader, I don't know what is. I'm excited to chat to you about heart-centered leadership and resilience. So let's just get going with my questions. So Wayne, with your decades of experience, and especially your observation of resilience, How do you feel mindset orientation enhances leadership performance? Yeah, no, um, I think part of this has um, been a reflection of my own personal journey of realizing that with organizations or with individuals, how they see themselves and how they interpret the world around them is a a very important starting point to understand. you know, when I was doing therapy with individuals, I always kind of had this sense that actually what they think about life is more important than what I think. And that's really kind of tying to this idea of mindset. And, you know, with more, the more recent research of Carol Dweck and some others around this idea that your, your mindset of, that you embrace shapes in many ways how you see your own personal growth, how you interact with others, or what you consider to be success. And uh, so part of my journey was how can we understand that mindset? How can we assess it so that we know what it is and how can we then respond to it? Because in many ways, the concept of resiliency is about bouncing back from challenges and opportunities in successful ways. But more recently in my work, 
um, around the concept of flourishing, I'm also interested in how people bounce forward. And that directly ties to understanding what your mindset is. And I can talk a little bit about that, but understanding your starting point and those that are supporting you, whether in leadership or as colleagues, um, is because uh, if a person has a certain mindset, then there's a need to connect with them a certain way so that you nurture that relationship forward as opposed to interacting with them from a perspective of what you think they should be. And that's oftentimes what creates the dissonance or disconnect from a leadership perspective. Well, and it's refreshing to hear you say, Wayne, that you're really looking to your own personal journey. And with all the leaders that I've met and interviewed so far on the podcast, it's been a conversation that I've, I've had with each one. So it's very interesting to see how interconnected we all are and how our own personal journey, including that of resiliency, really helps foster who we are as leaders and really bring soft skills to the forefront to be heart-centered. So, so thank you for sharing that. What imperfections do you feel you have brought to your leadership? <laughs> well, I mean, if you ask people that I've been involved in from a leadership perspective, I'm sure they could count them quickly. Um, I think one of the challenges I think any leader has is making the assumption that they, th that they, that they think they know what the answer is. Um, I've realized over time that um, oftentimes the most effective process going forward is never because one person knows what it is. It's rather, it's a collection of ideas. It's about drawing upon appreciative inquiry and being curious and inviting people to share ideas. Because when you have those various perspectives coming together, you oftentimes find that the steps forward are quite different than what you might've thought them to be. And so if I was kind of looking at imperfections, because I was trained as a clinical psychologist and there's a real strong emphasis in our training is that we're supposed to be the expert. We're supposed to know what the solutions are. We're supposed to be able to you know, engage people and sort of identify what's wrong and therefore what they need to do in order to be normal. And part of this process of my idea of leadership is that um, a, a good leader is more about exploring what might be. And what might be might be very different than what is occurring now. So, but the starting point of leadership is valuing people for who they are now, not what you think they should be. And therefore, the, the process forward is more one of evolving capacity. It's about being creative. It's about being agile. It's about being adaptive uh, and, and learning from our past, and, but applying it to the future. But again, um, you know, one of my limitations was I was always a bit afraid of stepping into the unknown because then that sort of disqualified me as the so-called expert. And part of this journey that I realized is that <laughs> the more I learn, the less I know. And therefore the need to be in connection with people where they feel safe and valued and are able to share their ideas and passions and that there's some type of a collective understanding of what the next steps might be so that people have a sense of ownership in the process. Well, and the best part that I love about that is a couple of things that you said, learning to, to be, and I always have fun and say, you know, 
what if we live in the now and just allow that to be our cognitive address and make it permanent? Because you wouldn't be the expert on resiliency and mindset orientation if you didn't have all these beautiful experiences, including self-doubt and those sabotaging thoughts. I think that they're, they're put in our course to, to make us better. And I love what you said, the, the more you learn, the less you know. My Irish Nana used to say that to me growing up. So here we are. All these cliches still come to the forefront, and I think they're just interpreted different depending on our age and our experience. So very, very interesting. My favorite part of your answer to that question, though, was when you laughed. Because I, <laughs> I think if we can laugh at ourselves, Wayne, I think our imperfections just make us even more relatable to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that you have uh, done uh, an incredible amount of work with high-risk youth and their families, and I have that in common with you. When I was a medical community-based case manager, I also worked with a similar population. And I'd love to know, what was the greatest lesson that you learned from both the youth and their families? Yeah. I, th I think when I, if I reflect back on how we work with people, again, it kind of comes back to this idea of what are the perceptions? Like what's your mindset orientation towards how you see people? So we oftentimes connect with people because they're experiencing challenges. And when they come with those challenges, oftentimes when you read their files or people's descriptions of the situations, there's a strong focus on what's wrong and therefore labels being placed on that. Um, I was always amazed that oftentimes the labels that are placed on people in no way define who they are. It's actually more about what's right about them that actually defines who they are. So for example, you know, I had a young lad that uh, was uh, uh, into stealing cars and he was very good at it. Uh, police used to tell me, hey, Wayne, if we don't catch him now and put him up there and straighten him out, he's going to become a lifelong criminal. But in my conversations with him, I saw some strengths that actually were contrary to why he was referred to me. One was is that he wanted a relationship with an adult who would value him. He just happened to be finding the wrong relationships out there. And the other part is that he had a passion in the way that he learned. He was very hands oriented um, in the sense of, uh, you know, he loved cars. He loved playing with them. He loved fixing them. So. The solution wasn't to punish him. The solution in my mind was how can I connect him to an adult that's actually going to value him? Therefore, he will value the, 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 the values that the adult had. And how can I get him in a situation where he can actually express his strengths in a positive way? And so uh, one of the conclusions of that story was is that how I saw that person determined where I wanted to go and how I was going to support him. I could have seen him as at risk and therefore punish him, or I see him at potential and therefore build on his strengths. And so when I was with the court system and the judge, I said, you know, you can put him in jail and he's going to be there for a long time, or we can put him in an environment where we actually value him and build his strengths forward. So I got him a, a, um, <clears throat> a job to be a consultant with the police department on how to uh, develop strategies to stop people from stealing cars. So all of a sudden he had 16 officers who are now his best buddies. He also had an ability to sort of talk about many of his skill sets in a positive way towards positive outcomes. 
and now he's a, a head mechanic at a dealership in Calgary. So the whole idea is that, you know, your starting point for change in people is what's right about them, not what's wrong. We need to pay attention to the limitations, but we also need to know what's right and therefore create opportunities for those to find expression. And the research is showing very clearly that if we take that approach, you're going to find greater uh, significant increase in your positive outcomes because it really ties back to the brain science on how people experience things, what hormones are created and how that starts to develop the mind, which then changes the thought, which changes the behavior, which then changes their conviction. I'm, I'm sitting here smiling ear to ear because I have a very similar story. But what I want to say is heart-centered leadership belongs to all of us. And it doesn't matter the initials after your name, whether you went to school. It's about how you choose to view things and see things and have that connection with people. And the trajectory of how you changed that young man's life because you saw in him the potential and came up with the best strategy and treatment plan to put him in the right environment and use his skills in a positive way. So what a beautiful example of resiliency. And it's just interesting when we get asked certain questions, how certain people and experiences that we've had personally or professionally come to mind. Do you still keep in touch with this gentleman? Um, I'll probably definitely not on a regular basis, but I right. know of him and what he's doing, <clears throat> but I could probably give you 200 examples uh, of that approach. Cause that was a paradigm shift for me in my professional practice and how I work with people is to stop starting with what's wrong, be aware of limitations and how it might hold a person back. But if you listen to the story, you're going to ask different questions and therefore you're going to hear different answers. And so um, I'm a big believer in a lot of the appreciative inquiry concept, the positive psychology, the strength-based practice approach into sharing their story um, and how we connect with them. And uh, oftentimes the solution is always in the story, not in some prescribed intervention that we put everybody through. Um, everybody has a unique story. And so the starting point for stories, especially in, even in leadership, it's not about asking the question, why didn't you do that? I told you to do it, as opposed to, that was an interesting choice. I would never have thought of that. Why was it important to you? Those are two different concepts. One's a judgment concept. The other is a curious exploratory and, and valuing the fact that people actually can take ownership of their own process and they do it for a reason. And therefore, you need to understand that. Well, a lot of times when I'm chatting with leaders, I often hear, well, Deb, that's common sense. It right. may be common sense, but it doesn't mean it's common practice, does it? Right. right. What and what's common sense to one person may not necessarily be common sense to another. Well, um, and that's, I liked what your, your term you said a few minutes ago about having an appreciative inquiry. Don't make mm -hmm. an assumption or have perception. It's uh, our greatest asset is communicating Right. And before you can be a good communicator, you need to listen and, and seek to understand, which is beautiful. Yeah. And, and being able to have over 200, you know, stories that can easily come to mind. So what a beautiful shift, though, for your own leadership, Wayne. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of leaders, um, when, when you don't have a personal value system that aligns with your practice as a leader, it creates 
stress. It creates a dissonance that you have to live, constantly live with. And I think one of the con, one of the experiences that I had is that when I when I was able to sort of say, these are what my personal values are. This is how I would want people to treat me, or this is how I want people others to treat others. And then I put that into the way I do my practice. Then um, what I do during the day and what I come home to, I don't treat anybody that I work with professionally any different than I treat my own family. And so sleeping well at night is easy for me because I don't experience that dissonance, uh, that disconnect. And uh, I think as leaders, it's important that we explore what our personal values are and how does that find expression in our practice. And this is one of the biggest reasons I wanted to interview you because we have very similar mindsets and views on things. So my last leadership question, Wayne, is 2020 has led us to a different way of living, thinking, working, mm. and, and allowed us to be. What strategies would you have in your toolkit to help our listeners who are remotely working and maybe returning to some sort of office environment in the fall of 2020? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I think uh, we're all going to reflect back on 2020 as a, um, a fascinating period of time. I use the word fascinating because some people will describe it as chaotic. Um, I actually think chaos is, is, is a time of opportunity. It's going to shift the, what, we, what we put our priorities on. Um, so part, part of my journey and most recently um, we've developed an organization called flourishing life and the purpose of flourishing life is to help people to better understand their sense of resilience and their ability to be competent in their performance skills so i think during this period of time at home or whatever the case might be it's a time for reflection what's important to you where are you at on your own journey because when you go back into whatever that might be are you going back in with a mindset that's more one that reflects thriving or are you in survival mode? And so knowing that and starting the journey of building your capacity forward as opposed to just trying to survive um, is an opportunity during this period of time that's gonna pay huge benefits as you go back into your role as leaders or staffing as a team player whatever the case might be. So we developed actually a questionnaire that helps people to understand what their baseline story is. And again, that goes back to my belief that how you think about yourself is the most important starting point. And it's not that everybody has a perfect story. You don't, and I don't have a perfect story, but there's always this room to grow our potential, to be curious, to know that what I learned yesterday, I use today, but what I learned today, I'm going to use tomorrow. I think that, 2020 for many people is going to be um, a time when they look back and, and see it as either a period of chaos and disruption, or they're going to see it as a period of opportunity. And <clears throat> when I talk about opportunity is leadership is not about knowing something, being able to then act on it and therefore get success. That's an outside in model. Um, oftentimes I promote what I call an, out, an inside out model. Who am I? What's important to me? Um, 
who is it that I need to have in my life to support me on my journey so that when I do learn things, I'm able to put it into practice in a positive way and therefore experience the outcomes that I'm looking for. So I see this as an opportunity to grow our potential. And as part of that journey, um, we just most recently started an organization called Flourishing Life, which has now a validated questionnaire that actually assesses um, people and provides them a baseline of their story of what their mindset is, their degree of resilience, and their capacity to perform on their soft skills. Um, so the idea of resilience is I bounce back. The performance soft skills is about how do I bounce forward. And that's a continuous journey. Because what I learned yesterday, I can use today for success, but what I learned today is what I need for tomorrow. And so it's that continuous evolving growth journey of growing our potential and contextualizing what we know in new contexts. And that's that idea of stepping outside your comfort zone. That's what a thriving mindset is all about. They see opportunity in all situations and therefore um, engage in it in a way that uh, they might not have done yesterday, but today it's a new opportunity, therefore they express it in a new way. So part of, the, part of this process going forward is, um, um, I think that we need to be able to sort of understand where we're at in our journey. What is it that we do well? What are our strengths? Um, and then what are the new opportunities that we could apply these strengths? But in applying, you're actually going to be in a position to learn new things about yourself. There's new strengths that you might apply. Because the research is really clear. Uh, knowing something does not guarantee success. But when you are able to reflect resilience, that ability to believe in yourself and have the right support strategy so that you navigate challenges in successful ways or bounce back, but you understand your soft skills so that you can actually navigate future challenges in positive ways is the greatest indicator of future success. It's not so much um, you know, hard skills because soft skills are what you need in order to use your hard skills effectively. Well, I fully agree with you. And I'm trying to have each day just to continue being that eternal optimist. And I always believe my favorite saying, Wayne, is growth comes from the valley. And I think yeah. 20, 2020 has given us ample time to reflect and pause. And I like to look at all the good things. I like that families are back together. I love that Moms and dads are home with little ones and there's time to have lunch and everybody's together at dinner. So, right. cause it, it's very easy to, to go the other way with the mindset as opposed to having a thriving mindset. And when we look for the negative or the bad, it's always a hundred percent guarantee. We'll find them all. Whereas right. if we, you know, can shift our habit of thinking and look for everything that's positive. I like what you said about, you know, resilience allowing allows us to bounce back and, and performance allows us to go forward. And I think if you just have that mindset every day, and I know, again, a lot of people say, well, it's common sense, but common sense does not always mean that it's common practice. And like any other habit or routine, the hardest part's always starting. Yeah. Now, I, th I think that one thing to kind of keep in mind, too, for people is that we oftentimes think of flourishing and there's this concept of happiness and that, you know, I'm stress free. Everything's fine. I actually think that that's a fallacy. Um, oftentimes, our greatest growth is not in times when we feel amazing. It's actually when we're really struggling. Um, 
there's a video out, uh, our young lady's talking about her mental health concerns and resilience, and she calls it beautify or brutify. So there are going to be times when you're going to feel the angst and the stress, but you're also going to have this deep sense of hope and optimism at the same time. And it's in that mix. I, I refer to it like the Clint Eastwood mood, the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good and the bad are easy to identify. It's the ugly where actually true change occurs. And it's when you really have to wrestle with those feelings that oftentimes might bring you down or interfere with your ability to lead. But it's in that mix that you start to figure out that, but no, I also have a history of success. I also have strengths I can draw upon. So you have this sense and hope that you, uh, that change can occur and that you have a sense of empowerment to be able to act on that. But, uh, you may have to live the rest of your life with, let's say, for example, the concept of depression, but it doesn't define who you are. What defines who you are is your mindset. It's how you see yourself. So you can have limitations that you have to live with, but it doesn't determine who you are. Rather, it's how you enact on those, because sometimes you might find that your most significant so-called weaknesses actually give you insight to your greatest strengths. Well, I love that because when I was case managing, I saw a lot of illness, a lot of trauma, a lot of chronic illness, chronic pain. Yeah. And that used to be one of my, my staple sentences when I did my home visit was, I empathize and feel for what has happened to you, but it right. doesn't define you and it doesn't mean you are disabled or you have a disability. It's the label doesn't need to be there. You can say you don't feel all right, but still have a good day. Yes. So absolutely. it's pow powerful, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because it changes your whole language. It changes as you know, you talk about leadership, then that changes the conversation that I'm going to have with people because if I see them at risk, I'm going to have a tendency to want to protect them or judge them. If I see them at potential, then I'm going to want to come alongside and provide opportunities for them to express their greatness. Because the, the, the goal of leadership is not to dictate to people. It's not to sort of reach the outcome at the expense of those that you're working with. It's rather to connect with, and we have a small strategy that we use in the flourishing model connect, inspire, build, and empower. So the starting point for change is always relationship. It's about connecting in ways where people feel safe, valued, but you present with empathy and competence. And then the inspiring is it's about exploring what might be. And then the build is let's start with what's right. Let's add what you need in order to get to where I'm asking you to go. And then I'm going to stretch you because it's in the stretching that we truly learn what our potential and strengths are. And at the end of the day, the empowerment is, is that if we recreate that success, the biology sort of shows us that when you repeat something in a successful way, it creates a series of hormones that actually sort of um, intertwines in such a way that it becomes a conviction for you. So it starts to determine your values and how you see yourself by replicating success outside your comfort zone. So those are the four steps we talk about around transformational change. And I use it in every aspect of my life, whether it's my personal journey, my parenting with my children, my relationship with my wife, or in my relationship with colleagues. Uh, I just keep those four steps in mind about how I'm going to influence. Uh, so leadership is about facilitating a process, not dictating an outcome.
Well, and how beautiful it can be interchanged in whatever relationship you need to use those strategies. So I love that. I want to uh, finish the podcast with what I call the Fab Four, Wayne. And these are just four fun questions, whatever's on the top of your your mind, we'd love to hear. So my first question is, can you share with us one of your favorite hobbies that you do that really offers you downtime? (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, life is interesting. I used to really enjoy golf because um, uh, when I I go out and play golf, I, I don't have to compete with anybody. And it also gives me permission to make mistakes and an opportunity to try again. So if I miss cue on the first shot, I've got another another chance at the second shot to to make up a difference. So I, I like the fact that um, you know making mistakes uh, occurs, but um, part of what golf gives me is that new opportunity to try again, um, which then is it, sort of a sense of eternal hope all through the game. Now my score might not be what I want at the end of the day, but I had this experience of trying outside my comfort zone on all 18 holes. Well, I love that. Whether you're hitting a a golf club or hitting a a bag boxing or some people even like it when they renovate their kitchen, it's all, it's all got the same kind of of outcome. And, and that, and I loved how you frame that gives you permission to just, you can be as good or as bad as you want. And it's all about just having a joy in the journey. So that's kind of fun. What psychological term would you give to the year 2020? Mm. Um, I, I would probably refer to it as an opportunity for transformation. Um, transforming from what was to something new. Now, transformation to me is not going from nothing to something new. It's always going from something that already existed, but because of the way that you work through it, it becomes exponentially greater uh, in its significance, its impact. And that process of transformation takes patience. It's sequential. It takes time. It's about taking risks that you normally wouldn't do. They're smart risks, I refer to them as. Um, But the goal is to transform into something that you're not quite aware of, but then when you experience it, you look back at it and say, that was amazing. Well, I love that. My third question is, what inspires Wayne? <laughs> the why of what I do. Um, I've, always, I've always felt um, I had a calling to work with people. Um, initially, it was more in a medical model, and it has much more to do with fixing than it does with anything else. But what really inspires me is that when I come alongside somebody and they feel valued and safe and they're able to start exploring things they normally wouldn't and light bulbs go on, that's what inspires me Uh, because it's their journey. It's not mine. It's their story. It's not my imposed expectation. So part of the excitement that I have is the privilege of coming alongside people and facilitating experiences that help them to write chapters two and three, knowing that they're going to have to write their own chapters of four and five. So I have the privilege of being part of people's journey for a particular period of time. But I hope that whatever the 
facilitating influence is, whether it's a leadership or in a care context, whatever the case might be, is that it's done in a way that the person sees it as meaningful and that they'll take ownership of it because it's their journey. Well, that's beautiful. And I know that you enter that with a thriving mindset, right? Right. My last question, Wayne, is what do you want your legacy to be? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, like, part, I mean, a good question. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what my legacy will be. Um, I'm hoping that when people reflect on the opportunities we might have had to connect, that they'll see it as um, that, 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 that there was a shift in how I saw myself and how I valued myself because of the way that Wayne treated me. And so the legacy for me is that do people feel valued and hopeful and um, develop a template that's about realizing their potential? Um, if, if, if I can go back and people say, I'm a better person for having met Wayne, then that's my legacy. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. And I want to thank you for sharing your time and expertise today. And I look forward to continued conversations with you and uh, learning more about having and always possessing a thriving mindset. Well, thank you very much. And it's certainly been a pleasure to share some thoughts and spend time with you today. I like to end the podcast with kind of five elements that I feel are integral to leading a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you once again for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.